You're listening to Halford and Bruff. Alfred and Bruff in the morning with Dan Richo and Randy Janda. So a little bit of a uh, old school vintage reach deep feel to uh, Alfred and Bruff for this week, Randy. Yeah, if you're uh, headed to work, if you're getting out this morning, you're not dreaming. It's <laughs> Janda and Richo on in the morning. Just uh, maybe don't expect password uh, this early in the morning. We'll see. You never know what could happen over the course of a week. Plus during this week where it's like home run derby tonight. All-star game tomorrow. And then uh, to quote uh, Jim Benning, the rest of the week is uh, a black hole. So, yeah, <laughs> we're not making any promises, but anything could happen. It really it really depends on the type of content we have for the rest of the week. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. Uh, Halford and Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today. Visit your nearest Delari Acura dealer today so we've got a lot coming chris faber is going to join us coming up after 6 30 after seven o'clock we'll get into the canadian men's national team falling to the u.s at the gold cup alex gange ruzik will join us from one soccer uh we may play Pakdoku this morning do you are you a daily Pakdoku player i'm not but okay. um you mentioned this i started looking into it i heard you guys play it on canuck central yes. last week so i was like all right i like I like weird games like that. Uh, I'm obsessed. So one Paktoku is not enough for me each and every day. We'll try and play along with the listeners. 650-650 on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox as some, a potentially fun exercise. We'll see how it goes this morning, and if we want to continue it through the rest of the week, maybe we'll do that. Uh, after 8 o'clock, Shai Davidi, Blue Jays insider, will join us. Home run derby's going tonight. Vladdy Jr., obviously, at T-Mobile Park, will be there. Julio Rodriguez of the Mariners trying to defend his title from a year ago. And uh, Shai will get into the Blue Jays' first half, 50-41. and 41, uh, But uh, was it a disappointing first half? We'll get into that with Shai Davidi, plus what we learned after 8.30. So a busy morning for you here on Sportsnet 650. 650, 650, the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. That's where you get in contact with the show. But I think uh, it's time to get to it. What happened? Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. What happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? Missed that? You missed that? What 
What Happened is brought to you by the BC Construction Construction Safety Alliance, making safety simpler by giving construction companies the best in tools, resources, and safety training. Visit bccsa.ca. So the big news from a uh, Vancouver perspective, Canucks perspective, yesterday the Canucks, uh, well, I'll say this, the Vancouver sports radio gods giving us a gift from the heavens. Randy, we were all kind of dancing in our homes when this news, <laughs> when the Canucks released this information. Yep, Niels Hoaglander, yes, resigning in Vancouver. Uh, two years, two point two million, so one point one on the average annual value. And you might wonder, like, how did Niels Hoaglander score that after not doing much of anything last year, spending most of the year, certainly the second half of the season in the AHL. I mean, he's played a ton of NHL games and you know, did have a pretty good. Um, point ratio certainly early on in his entry-level contract so that's why he's earning a little bit more than a million bucks yeah and I I remember his rookie year well did the uh, one chip challenge as a result of him making the team so right but that year the north division whatever you whatever you think you were so convinced was I wrong in the long term no I was not wrong he was not ready that spoke more to the the Canucks depth if anything yeah the Canucks were just like well we don't have anybody else so Nils here's a spot in the top six and I (laughs) suffered for it but if you look at the contract on what he could have made it's kind of in that range really right like it was 1.1 to 1.3 uh if you look at some of uh uh the models out there and I think this is a good deal for a player that hasn't really broken out yet this is a short-term play it's a bridge deal for the team that's saying hey you know you're going to be in a spot to show us maybe you can do some more. Uh, you can grow as a player. Uh, the Canucks do have control for a, a few more years after this deal is up. So from both perspectives, I like it. It's, it's a deal that you obviously want to see the player grow and become more of a complete player. But uh, this is this is what a bridge deal is about. You issue a challenge and let's see if we can meet it. Right now, even after signing this contract... There are no guarantees Nils Hoaglander is a Canucks player on opening night. Now, that's not to say he's going to get traded. He could very well be in Abbotsford again. I believe uh, that you know the Canucks can send him down at the start of the season without having to pass him through waivers. But uh, once he plays one or two more NHL games, then he will no longer be waiver-exempt. So the Canucks' last opportunity to do so may be at the start of this season to send him down to Abbotsford. Yeah, you can't yo-yo him down uh, like previous years. But what's working in the favor of when Niels Hoaglander is, since Rick Tockett took the job and got to watch him in Abbotsford a little bit, had the communication with Jeremy Colleton, likes his game, right? What's one of the things that Rick Tockett has mentioned since he took the job? North-South players. Yeah. Niels Hoaglander can be that guy, has shown that he can play that feisty game, can be tenacious, he can win board battles. Now what he has to do is round out that game. And to his credit, in Abbotsford, he was better at that. He was not coughing up the puck as much around that defensive blue line. He was putting up points, but it's one thing to do that in the AHL. Can you take somebody's job in the NHL? And that's going to be the challenge. That's the... You know, I'm sure that's the challenge that's been issued towards Niels Hoaglander is yeah. it's good that you were, you made progress in the HL. You're getting this money. Now let's see what you can do at camp. He is um, supposed to be a product of the front office. Uh, I, I don't know if we – can we still call it the new front office? No. <laughs> no, it's not new. I feel like I fall into that trap all the time. No, like no, the, the new Canucks They're the office. newer one, yes. but they're not new anymore. They this are, is kind of like – They a, are the newest. 
They're not like a '94 Tercel, yes. But they're they're like they're like a you know they're they're no longer the new car smell is not there. '94 Tercel. I've never had What's a Tercel. The... <laughs> What's like that most '90s car that you couldn't like? You know, if you asked Chat GPT, what the most common pizza delivery driver car is? <laughs> it's true. It's probably a Toyota Tercel. There's a couple of, a couple of delivery places in Vancouver that still drive Tercels. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're ordering Domino's. Guess what? A Tercel's dropping off your pizza. It's like aqua colored. And it's got like 479,000 kilometers on it. <laughs> so, yeah, they're not that. So, in all seriousness, the newer front office of the Vancouver Canucks, Patrick Alvin and Jim Rutherford, you know, they made it a point to... Make sure guys get that extra little bit of seasoning. You know, um, they don't want their uh, their meals too bland when they uh, get them up to the NHL, and that's part of what the process has been with Hoaglander. You know, Jeremy Colleton spoke glowingly about Hoaglander's play. Uh, we saw how big of a role he played, especially in that first round Calder Cup playoff series win for the Abbotsford Canucks. But I I, I still think you know as much as we got the positive reviews out of the AHL. As much as I know Hoaglander could do a lot of things well at the NHL level, and he's always going to have, or at least throughout his career, he's had pretty good underlying numbers, right? From an analytics perspective, uh, he's they, they, the numbers look very favorably on Nils Hoaglander. But the problem is, Randeep, he makes too many mistakes and doesn't score enough. It started to wear on Travis Green after a while, and Bruce Boudreaux would say the same sorts of things. Now, Rick Tockett didn't really get a look at the NHL level with Hoaglander, but it's as long as Hoaglander can't consistently do those little things, can't consistent like the Canucks kind of have a Bill Belichick, do your job sort of feel to them now. And if you don't do your job, they're not going to have much time for you. And so Nils Hoaglander has to make sure that he does those, whatever's going to be asked of him. Two messages from the Canucks this year and Rick Tockett specifically, have a big summer and do your job essentially (laughs) is what it's about. And I start looking at, Hey, 32 points in 46 AHL games is great on most nights in the AHL from guys uh, that you talk to that cover that team. Nils Hoaglander was the best player on the ice in those 46 games. He was mm-hmm. a guy that was, you know, bringing it. Played a large, you know, chunk of games with Niels Oman, Linus Carlson. So that's good. Niels Oman expected to make the NHL club. That might work in Niels Hoaglander's favor here. Here's the problem, though. There's a lot of wingers. There's a <laughs> lot of wingers on this team. So if you're making this team, and hey, as a young prospect, any management group is going to look towards the prospect and say, okay, he shows us something. We're going to put him on the team. But who exactly... Out of that forward group, is Niels Hoaglander going to beat out for a job? Like, yeah. you start looking at the top six, I'm sorry, it's not going to happen. Kuzmenko, Mikheyev, Besser, and you got Bovillier. Whatever you think of Bovillier, he's a guy that profiles in the top six. He can score. Yeah. He plays a certain style of game that I know hasn't been the most consistent, but in the NHL, he's a top six winger. Beyond that, Dakota Joshua, north-south player, NHL player. He showed last year. Yeah, figured out how to penalty kill. He's... Dakota Joshua's on the team. Yep. Connor Garland, if he's on the team, he's definitely on the third line. He's going to be the play driver on that team. Well, you're starting to look at, you know, um, for the final, I guess, two forward spots, 
it's probably Phil DiGiuseppe, Jack Studnika, Sheldon Dries, Vasily Podkolzin, and Nils Hoaglander. Like five, you're yep. going to have five guys essentially battling it out for the two final roster spots up front. And that's, in my opinion, a pretty good camp battle. Yeah. I think Phil DiGiuseppe is going to be the guy that is probably the favorite based on how much Rick Tockett loves him. Well, he did his job, and he did it well. The guy was playing first-line minutes. Yeah. Like, first line with JT Miller, he was he was the guy that was relied on, right? Yeah. Along with Elias Pettersson, obviously, they had that kind of hybrid one-two, whatever you want to call it. But he was getting good, you know. He was Maple Gretzky time. at the end of the year. He was. Now, beyond that, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm just going to let that one slide. <laughs> the one that I look at, though, is... Pod Colson. Yeah. Because if there's one player that needs that confidence, he needs that to win the trust of the coach, like Niels Hoaglander, it's Vasily Pod Colson. Right. So I think with Studnika and Sheldon Dries, you love what Dries can do. You love his story and what he was able to bring last year. Studnika, I'm not sure uh, whether he's going to be, you know, he's a, he's a good extra player. He's a good 13th forward potentially but do they have that much invested in him i don't think so yeah i think it really does come down to pod colson of is how great is his summer Mm -hmm. and can he take that step and really sheldon drives is your probably your perfect 13th forward because he can play on the wing he can play down the middle you can put him wherever you want so i think it comes down to pod colson hoaglander pod colson is the highest upside of the group, especially from a two-way perspective. And uh, I think that's going to play a big factor into his season. But uh, we'll dive more into Nils Hoaglander's uh, new contract and how the season is shaping up for him. Chris Faber going to join us after 6.30. And uh, we'll keep taking your texts on the subject throughout the morning. 6.50, 6.50 on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Um, before we move on to the Debrinkat deal, he finally gets moved from the Ottawa Senators to the Detroit Red Wings. Uh, there was another Canucks story this weekend. Ian Cole sending out a statement, changes his jersey number to number 82 from number 28, explains his decision in the statement, um, hadn't been notified, uh, did not know, did not remember that Luke Bourdon wore number 28 as a member of the Canucks. Ian Cole has worn the number 28 throughout his National Hockey League career. So it was just, uh, hey, what number would you like? Uh, I'll take number 28, as I've always had. And they gave it to him. Um, I think the easiest thing to say here is that it was – an unfortunate oversight. Yeah. Ultimately, that's what happened here, and uh, Ian Cole does uh, the right thing in changing his jersey number and uh, sending remembrance to Luke Bourdon. And what I, you know, liked about it was also the the statement that was sent. Yeah. It was explained properly. It was kind of giving the entire, hey, this is where it was coming from. This is where the the decision came from. But I think an important part of this, guys, and you know, this comes down to. And having lived in the city, I understand the story about Luke Bourdon. It's a tragic, tragic incident that people in this city remember. We know how emotional it was at the time as well. Um, and everybody has, it feels like a different opinion. Some people are okay with the number being worn again. Some are not. My personal opinion is that I'm okay with being worn again. But that's my personal opinion. Yeah. Everybody mourns differently. Everybody looks at that, you know, tragic incident differently in the sense that you know, and the number and what it means, but good on Ian Cole to explain his decision. And you're right. It's, 
essentially an unfortunate oversight. I think there was a lot of um, learning to come from this, probably from the team as well of, all right, this is what the player and the number mean to this city. Yeah. And they learn from that, they move on. But I'm, I'm happy that they're able to explain it in the end to say, hey, this is how it played out. And Ian didn't know about it, and he explains. And, you know, you live, you learn, and, and you move on. I know uh, it, it had been pointed out as the situation was playing out, uh, but, you know, even Connor Hellebuck wearing the number 37 in Winnipeg, uh, there is an element of honor to Dan Snyder, uh, who wore the number 37 as well uh, with the Atlanta Thrashers before his tragic passing. So, you know, this is um, you know, something that happens in other organizations. Unfortunately, there are situations like this that has been spread across the league, and we've seen teams handle it differently, but... Um, the unfortunate oversight with the Canucks here has led Ian Cole to change his number to 82. The big hockey story uh, yesterday was Alex Debrinkat getting dealt to the Detroit Red Wings. Uh, Ottawa gets back Dominic Kubalik, Donovan Sobrango, um, conditional first, either Detroit or Boston's in 2024, whichever one is lower, and a conditional fourth round pick next year as well um ottawa didn't have much uh, wiggle room here to make this trade but uh steve eiserman gets his man and alex to brink in detroit finally feels like they've got a finisher they can trust and that's really the story here is that ottawa had no leverage whatsoever yeah right the guy wants out second of all he's not going to sign an extension with you third thing is he can call a shot of you've got no trade value if he doesn't want to sign wherever he goes so it felt like, and Elliot Friedman was reporting this for a while, that Detroit was the team everybody was watching. We heard, we saw everything. He's a Michigan guy, at Michigan guy. The winner in this deal is Detroit, and yep. the losers, Ottawa, and actually Alex Debrinkat. Mm-hmm. Winner because he go, gets to go where he wants to go. Yeah. Loser because he did not secure the bag. I, I know $21 million is is a decent amount of money. I, I mean, he's, he's not hurting. He's not hurting, <laughs> but like when you start talking about the numbers that he could have made, well, Unless once Timo Meyer signed for less than eight, like less than nine million, um, Debrinkat didn't have much of a leg to stand on coming with the season that he's coming off of. Fair, but forty goal score on your resume, yeah, is not something is not something and you, know, you look at right. Still, he's still going to get to free agency at twenty nine when the cap is a lot bigger. So it's another sort of short bet on himself yeah. for Alex Debrinkat. Um, I have like bigger thoughts on both Ottawa and Detroit. Uh, I don't know if we have enough time to get to both of them here, but I will say because um, I don't know if you guys know this about Sports at Six Fifty, the home of the Vancouver Canucks. We like to take a Canucks spin on everything. Of course, the idea that DeBrincat took just four years rather than hey, I can sign my life away and just secure. Let's say it ended up being. Eight million per season on an eight-year deal. I, I get to bank sixty-four million bucks. I'm sure Steve Eiserman would have been fine with that if he got the eight years of term out of Debrinkat, but the player chose not to. And this is going to be potentially a theme of this off-season for some of these bigger contracts that may get signed from RFAs. Do they take? as much term as possible or do they go with this four to five year sort of bridge out of their second contract to get them to a place where the cap is higher they get to hit free agency before their age 30 season yet again 
And I wonder if that's sort of a tactic that Elias Pettersson and his camp might take when getting into negotiations with the Canucks this summer. All right. Take off if you're, you know, if you're at home or you're headed to work right now. Take off your Canucks hat for a second. Yeah. And just put on your, I want to make money and I want my options open. Yes. But we all have that hat at home, at home somewhere. Do you? Okay. Uh, uh, yeah. It's just you're wearing has, a Knicks hat right now. Yeah, so. it's, the, it's the reverse of that. I'm going to get you a hat. <laughs> <laughs> just want to keep my options open uh, basically <laughs> secure the bag and keep my options open yeah there's all right going back to that though. yes if you are of that thought process you absolutely do that you absolutely do that because with new money coming into the game through tv deals yeah with the cap going up the economy recovering in terms of you know the m- amount of money coming in you absolutely absolutely should be doing that. Mm-hmm. And, and that's not a popular opinion, I'm sure, in this city when you talk about Elias Pettersson. But from a financial perspective, if you know, if you're a special talent and you know you're going to get yours, you know at some point, whether it's 28, 29, reach. It's the way to go. Yeah. Especially as you're searching to say, you're searching to find out, you know, what your best chance of, of winning a cup is. So I think we'll probably see that. We we'll, might see that in other markets too, right? You start to wonder about that Austin Matthews deal. Was that the one that kind of started it? He got his money. He kept his options open. I'm sure he didn't predict the pandemic, uh, so that didn't help. But as far as just keeping your options open and saying, all right, if this team is trending towards the right direction, I'll re-up. If not, I've got 31 other teams that might be interested. Yeah. It's, you know... If you get the chance to hit the bag multiple times when you're that level of a player, it makes sense to kind of kick the can down the road a little bit and be able to not only like what you mentioned with keeping your options open. I think that's maybe a lesson out of the Jack Eichel and Connor McDavid deals, especially McDavid. Never mind, like, would McDavid have wanted out of Edmonton? It's just if he had signed a five year deal, much like Matthews he's getting another and a much larger contract if he's coming back around again sooner rather than later. He left a lot of money on the table, and I think that's something players don't want to do. Yeah, and the culture is changing too, right? Yeah. Even when McDavid signed that deal, to now having your options open is not necessarily seen as a negative. Yes. It is for the team that the players are currently on. Well, it puts some level of um, onus on the team to make sure that they – keep things in order to keep their player happy and at least show them a path that there's a chance that they could win in the city they're in. Okay, we got this text coming on the uh, Dunbar Lumber text line, 650-650. Uh, it says, or pull a Klingberg and lose out on millions. There's a difference between an Austin Matthews, Elias yeah. Pettersson, and, and, and I'm sorry to say, a, a Klingberg at this point in his career, right? John like, Klingberg should not have turned down $64 million no, from the Dallas he, Stars. He was getting an 8 by 8 <laughs> Self-awareness <laughs> is a virtue. You should know who you are, my friend. Uh, yeah, Klingberg's going to regret that one, uh, for a little while. So, uh, we'll get more into the Debrinkat deal from an Ottawa and Detroit perspective as the show goes on. Canada versus, uh, the USA in, uh, a Gold Cup quarterfinal. Canada losing in penalties. It was 2-2 after extra time, and Canada loses 4-2 in the penalty shootout. First penalty shootout since, I think, a 2002 Gold Cup quarterfinal for Canada, and, um, they had a 2-1 lead in extra time, and they blew it. 
you know, th- this was a team that wasn't trying to attack very much throughout the entire match and somehow with one shot on goal had scored two goals because one came from the penalty spot earlier uh, in the match. And it's tough. We're going to get into this more as the show goes on, but um, it's clear expectations have changed for the Canadian men's national team. As they should. When you make the World Cup and it's not through a, a hosting aspect, right? You you work your way in. You are, over the last eight months, seen as the next dominant team in CONCACAF. The standards can't go back down. Mexico yep. has had an off couple years. The United States has had an off couple years. And I know there's a, you know, it seems like it's too much too soon for the Canadian team. But you have special players, Reach. And even though they weren't on this team, on this squad, the culture around the team has changed. The expectation around the team has changed yes. where you do have players playing in Europe and you're playing a team that, you're right, the U.S. dominated play. But Canada had moments. Mm-hmm. And whether it's the, the A team, the B team, it feels like whenever the men's team plays, anyway, there's a couple of moments in, in a match where they can, they can take the game. Just hunker down or you're looking for that one goal and just take it. Go back to the World Cup against Belgium. That was a heck of a match. They probably should have won that. They didn't. They're punching above their weight. I yeah. get that. But that's a part of the story here. You're trying to build a culture and the expectations, this moral victory business. I think Team Canada on the men's side is past that now. You got to start picking up actual victories. And and this is a really interesting time for John Herdman because yeah. before it was, he could do no wrong. And now you're starting to see that criticism of, all right, the tactics there. Yeah. Uh, are you able to get your team to, you know, be composed in those key moments? That's what comes with those standards being, you know, raised where you are in a situation now that you're going to be called out a little bit. Uh, the organization still a bit of a mess, and uh, that factors into it, but uh, more expectations for John Herdman. One of the good stories of the tournament, Ali Ahmed uh, with the Whitecaps, midfielder with the Whitecaps, had a breakout season for Vancouver, uh, also had a breakout tournament for the Canadian men's national team and was one of the better players for Canada and is probably going to be on the radar even when the A team is back together for some friendlies in September. Canada also named a 23-player roster for the upcoming Women's World Cup in Australia and New Zealand. Their opening match is Nigeria on July 20th, a sixth World Cup for Christine Sinclair. Lions rebounded on home field 35-19 over Montreal while the Whitecaps blew two separate leads on Saturday night, losing to the Seattle Sounders on home field 3-2 and now sit ninth in the MLS Western Conference. We'll get back into the Canucks. Chris Faber is going to join us coming up after the break. You are listening to Halford and Bruff in the Morning with Dan Riccio and Randeep Janda on Sportsnet 650. It is uh, Halford and Bruff in the morning, Dan Richo and Randy Janda. Halford and Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today. Visit your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. So lots still to get to with Nils Hoaglander and some of the fallout of his signing with the Vancouver Canucks. Two years, $2.2 million here, Randy. So 1-1 one, one on the average annual value. And 
you know, there was a lot of excitement about Nils Hoglander after his rookie season. Obviously, that's dissipated. Spent a good amount of time in Abbotsford last year. Finished the season in Abbotsford last year. Became a big part of their playoff run. Where are we at with Nils Hoglander and what his like? Have we changed the idea of what his ceiling is as a player now? I don't know if we've changed the well. If you had a high opinion after the rookie year, like yeah, yeah, he picked up his points. He had a great year in the North Division, uh, but overall, I think. There's two issues or two areas that you have to focus on with Neil Toglander, right? And one of them is his own zone. Is he making the right decisions in his own zone? Is he coughing up the puck near the defensive blue line? Is he occasionally cheating the zone? At the NHL level, you cannot do that. And yeah. Bruce Boudreau had the line of, hey, if you're giving me 40 goals a season, I, I might can live, live with, with it. some stuff. <laughs> I can live with some stuff. If you're not finishing, I can't live with that stuff. The other thing is you got to score. And going back to that, there are so many times at the NHL level, call it a lack of confidence, call it, uh, you know, maybe just not having that composure, but Niels Hoaglander in front of the net couldn't finish or he'd missed the net. Like at the NHL level, that's got to change. At the AHL level, he was producing 14 goals, ended up having 32 points overall. But Reach, once you hit that NHL level, you're going to get limited chances, maybe in a top six spot, maybe in a third line. You got to make them count. Uh, let's bring in our next guest from the uh, Canucks Conversation and Canucks Army. It is Chris Faber. Uh, thanks for uh, bracing up early this morning for the sunrise uh, with us, Fabes. Yeah, Lena really had to convince me for this 630 <laughs> spot, but I, I'm wide awake. I got my smelling salts, so I'm feeling good. I'm all, all good to go. I appreciate it, man. Uh, Nils Hoaglander signing the uh, two-year deal with the Vancouver Canucks and. You know, gets 1.1 on the average annual value. And I guess one of the things Randeep and I have talked about is uh, it, it probably still doesn't guarantee him a spot on the opening night roster. But where do you think Nils Hoaglander is right now with his standing in the organization? Yeah, it's going to be kind of difficult for him to find a spot consistently from night one in the NHL. I think the fact that he doesn't kill penalties is going to be something that hurts him a little bit. Uh, if Phil DiGiuseppe comes to camp and is very adamant about being a penalty killer, potentially there's a spot for him to get in the lineup above Huglander. We we know Rick Tockett really liked the way that PDG played last year, and uh, it'll be interesting. You have Pod Colson in the mix. Is Tanner Pearson going to actually be healthy for camp? Like, yeah, Huglander certainly doesn't have an NHL spot you know, he's not even really penciled in right now. I think he, he could be a fourth-line guy, but is is he the type of player to play on Rick Tockett's fourth line is probably the question there. And if he's not bringing anything to a special teams unit, does he bring enough to five-on-five five offensively and defensively to make you say that he's one of the top, you know, eight wingers that's going to fit into your lineup? I'm not so sure. So uh, he's in, he's got an uphill battle coming into camp for sure, but he certainly has the skills to be able to win that job. And Tockett did mention near the end of the year that, hey, I've been watching him in Abbotsford a little bit, love his north-south game. And once he uses that buzzword, you know he's on the Rick Tockett radar. Um, <laughs> as far as Hoaglander and his play in the AHL, uh, you watched him closely. I know you covered the playoffs very closely. Uh, what was the biggest improvement that you saw in his game after December 19th, uh, after he was sent down? Yeah, you kind of touched on it right before I hopped on here. Like, his decision-making at his own blue line was huge. That was something that probably all of his life throughout the SHL and junior hockey in Sweden, as well as probably you could argue the first season that he had in the NHL as well. He just seemed to 
want to be able to be that confident in his own skills that he could dangle a guy at his own blue line. And oftentimes that started to catch up to him. Maybe the book got out on him that, hey, you know, pressure him right around the own blue line. And that's where we can get a turnover, get a quick goal scored against. So I think his decision making there, it's kind of how you fit into a system, right? And I think that's where you need to give a lot of credit to what Jeremy Carlton did out there at the AHL team. Like, that team played to a system. There was a lot of periods where it was two shots against, four shots against, where it was just lockdown defense, a very good job from the whole AHL organization. And uh, Hugliner had to buy into that. There were times throughout the season where he absolutely did. There were times during the season, and even more specifically these past playoffs, where you could see that kind of wane a little bit. And I think that's what's going to be difficult is it wasn't every single game consistently he was good defensively in the AHL. There was certainly improvements, and I think the fact that the league was a lot easier for him than the NHL is made his game look a little bit better, but it wasn't like you came out of every single game and were like, oh, yeah, like he's very good defensively now. So uh, there's going to have to be some attention to detail in the offseason. There's going to need to be some improvements with decision-making when we actually see him in-game. So that's why I... I'd love to be positive. I, I want this guy to be successful. He, he's a big hit for the Vancouver Canucks. They can get a second round pick to, you know, be a top nine forward, but he's going to have to be consistent defensively. And I don't think we saw that for sure yet in his time in the AHL. One of the things Colleton, uh, Jeremy Colleton, the AHL uh, coach in Abbotsford there uh, talked about with Hoaglander is his puck pursuit and how that can be his strongest part of his game. And, now, if we connect that with what the Canucks are looking for on the NHL roster, you know, Rick Tockett wants one strong four-checker on each line. And if no knows Hoaglander can profile as a guy that can be an F1 on a line, get in hard on the four-check, win some pucks, and play that role well along with you know, the defensive improvements we've just talked about, I think that's where Nils Hoaglander finds himself a role. At it. And if he could score 30 or so points while doing that, then, yeah, he should be able to hold down a roster spot. Yeah, most definitely. I think that's what's going to be interesting is I don't think you're going to fully get the story on Nils Hoaglander just from training camp. You're going to have to see some preseason games. You're not even, you know, preseason games are going to show you something, but I really think you are going to have to see how he fits in a night-by-night -night basis at the NHL level. And, yeah, I think Rick Tockett will like a lot of what Niels Huglander does. I thought that uh, his, his play in the AHL, you know, he was playing the most physical hockey I've ever seen, and I've watched him back in the SHL, World Juniors, and, you know, his, his three-ish seasons in the NHL as well. And I think he was playing physical. He was playing more of that rat role down in the AHL, and everybody hated playing against Niels Huglander in the AHL because he would piss you off but at the AHL level, he could also score, right? Like he found his scoring touch there where maybe that kind of went away a little bit in the last season in the NHL, the 25 games that he played, and then he's just not as effective as a player. So if he's able to bring that part that he had in the AHL of just being annoying to play against but also can beat your goaltender, like if he has that at the NHL level, he'll he'll definitely stick in Rick Toggett's system. And I think Toggett will like a lot of what this guy does. And that's why I don't think it's fully going to see the story be told at training camp because they're going to see, you know, a smaller guy with a lot of wheels and, you know, good hands. And it's going to say, okay, is that enough to get him in the NHL lineup? Probably not. It's going to also take that extra physicality and that extra effort level, that high motor that we love from Niels Huglander. If he's able to do all those things in a game for Rick Toggett, he'll stay in the lineup. If he's not able to do all those things and the defense is still a little bit of a worry, like you could see him potentially being sent back down to Abbotsford to work on some more things. It's a natural progression for a young player to, you know, figure out the game at the NHL level. Not everybody jumps in right away. We're seeing that with Niels Hoaglander, even after a great rookie year. Vasily Podkolzin, uh, you know, confidence has been an issue for him as well. Uh, if 
if you look at Hoaglander, and let's just say in a situation where there is a camp battle um, and and he wins a roster spot, would that, do you think, be at the expense of a Vasily Pod Colson? Because it feels like both of these guys are, you know, it's that 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 big summer conversation that Rick Tockett has been mentioning. Um, you know, there's a number of players on this team that he expect to have he expects to have big summers, but would it be at the expense of a Vasily Pod Colson, you think, if he does make this team out of camp? Yeah, I mean, it's very possible. I think those two will definitely be battling for a spot. I don't think either of them really has that much of a leg up on the other one. I think maybe Pod Colson because he's played some games for Rick Tockett. It's like the fact that Niels Huglander has not been seen in a game action while he's behind the bench in Rick Tockett, that makes it a little bit difficult for him. So I think Pod Colson's got a little bit of a step up there. And yeah, th- those two are absolutely going to be battling for a spot. And I think there's a world where both of them can be in the lineup. Uh, there's also a world where, you know, Tanner Pearson is healthy and there's some other players that come back. Mikheyev ends up being 100% and, and your wings are just kind of loaded at that point. And the coach wants to go with Dakota Joshua because he's got that size and he forechecks well and he plays that fourth line role that Talkett's looking for. I think he can make the same argument about uh, Phil DiGiuseppe or Sheldon Drys, see what he does next year if he can come in and, and you know, kind of maybe fill that like Kyle Burrows role a little bit and, and be a little bit more scrappy on the fourth line. Like, there's definitely an uphill battle for both of these guys, but I don't think it's it's that much of an uphill grind for them to be the starting two. It would just also be a little bit curious in my eyes to see how does Rick Tockett operate a fourth line with two very young players on it with not the most NHL experience. I think he's going to want his fourth line to be defensively responsible, but if you end up putting Pod Colson and Hugland together on your fourth line, there's a lot of potential for offense there as well. So maybe you can just kind of outscore the other team's fourth line. Like, I think that's a very new age look to a fourth line if you have Hugliner and Pod Colson on it. And though you, you know, as a Canucks fan, you kind of hoped that these guys would be top six players or at least top nine wingers. Like, if they're finding a role in a fourth line where they're actually kind of winning every nightly battle as a fourth line unit... Like, you could be okay with that as well. So I think there's a world where both of them could be in there, but I do see them competing pretty hard against each other for a fourth-line role uh, into camp next year if neither of them can kind of get a look in the top nine. The one thing I wonder about, too, is, you know, we all know if <laughs> the, the big if, if the Canucks are able to carve out a little bit more cap space in some way, shape, or form, however that may come, Faber, uh, they, they'd probably like to add another forward. Now, you know, carving out cap space might mean moving somebody out like a Connor Garland, but I know Pew Suter has been somebody that we keep talking about as an available free agent that the Canucks may have some interest in. Like, if I were to look at the team and say, what do they still need to bring in? It'd probably be a, a little bit more offense somewhere higher up the lineup if they could find it. What do you think the Canucks' remaining offseason needs are? Yeah, I'd say a center as well. I think if you can find a guy to to bring a little bit of offense there, like, you know, can Oscar Sundquist end up playing center for you long term? Like, you know, you did that for the Blues. And I think, like, maybe you can find a little bit more offense into that spot. You can push Teddy Bluger down to fourth line because, hey, the what we just mentioned there, like, you know, Teddy Bluger with Hugliner and Pod Colson on either side of him sounds like a hell of a fourth line. And I think a lot of playoff teams would take that as their fourth line. And that gives you a little bit more potential to kind of, like I mentioned, beat teams offensively. So if they can find that third line center, that would be huge. If he's a right shot guy, that's even better. Um, so I think there are a couple options out there right now that you could take a little bit of a swing on and, even with the money you have remaining in your cap, which isn't much right now, depending on who goes on LTIR, 
you can get some guys at like close to league minimum that can at least fight for that job and at least have potential to come in and play three C for you with the wingers you're going to surround them with. So you kind of have to make a pitch to a free agent right now of like, well, look at this opportunity you're going to have. Like you're getting very good wingers. You're going to be playing with, you know, Connor Garland and whether it be like Brock Besser or whoever comes down to that third line with them, like they're, they're setting up a third line center to be productive and be offensive. So maybe you can use that pitch a little bit when you're talking to a free agent and, and maybe you don't end up paying like 2.8 million for a, a center in a third line role there. Maybe you're getting a guy at 1.2 cause he's trying to, you know, hit it big on his next contract. So I, I'd look forwards like a one year deal for whoever could try come in and try and play that third line center for them. But I think that's for sure the position that needs to be filled the most right now. And Faber, I see what you're throwing down there. The Oscar Sundquist, Pittsburgh Penguins link, Wilkes-Barre. He went through that system, was a draft pick. Uh, he was traded by Jim Rutherford uh, for Ryan Reeves. Who hasn't been traded hey, by yeah, Jim hey. Rutherford at some point? <laughs> it's better to fall in love in, uh, <laughs> than not, right? So at one point, Jim Rutherford liked their game and, and then moved on from them. But, you know, you talk about uh, that one-year deal. Yeah, absolutely. And there's some options out there on the table. Uh, looking at the prospects, though, in development camp, uh, wrapped up uh, late last week. I saw you out there obviously covering the team. Um, there's not much you can take away from these camps generally, right? But with Tom Willander, what do you take away from his first development camp? Yeah, I think there were certainly flashes that got you very excited. You also have to kind of remember that he's 18 and guys that he's going up against have NHL experience, AHL experience, or, you know, 24 years old and Nikita Hirose who was out there. So you have to take it as a grain with a grain of salt kind of watching him play. And I think the thing that I just did was, you know, you watch this 18 year old, you watch the way that he moves on the ice and you're thinking, okay, there's, there's enough to be excited about right there. Uh, are his hands NHL ready? No. Is his offense NHL ready? No. Is his physicality there? No, but his skating clearly looked like it could be at times. It's just the way that he moved uh, laterally as well as forward and North South. Uh, so I think there's a lot of things to be excited about with him and he's going to take some actual development, right? He's not a player where you just look at him drafting and say, okay, he's one year away. Like, no, he's one year of very good development away. And does he get all of that done in this next season at the NCAA level? Like, potentially. So maybe we could be seeing him at the end of the season if he does an incredible job developing. But uh, I think from getting a chance to watch him on ice for five days, it looks like he's got more than one year of development to go. And that's not a bad thing. That's completely fine. Let him go in the NCAA and cook a little bit. Uh, but if he's able to do it in two years and he becomes a guy that can hop in and potentially play with Quinn Hughes, that's a huge win for you. So uh, I thought there were some some positives. He didn't blow you away every single day. Like, you know, we weren't tweeting out shifts like Zach Benson was doing out in Buffalo. Like we, you know, you're just kind of watching him. And I think the biggest tweet that happened that I had of Will Lander was just him skating in a straight line, which looked pretty damn impressive. So uh, at least there was a couple flashes to take away, but it's not like you knocked your socks off uh, over this past week. We know you're going to start going through your top 10 prospect list uh, as the week goes on here over at Canucks Army. Uh, should we expect any surprises? Were there any standouts from Dev Camp that have maybe moved up your charts a little bit? Um, not necessarily. Like, Dev Camp didn't affect the list that much. I think getting a chance to – I think 
like the, the biggest thing it probably did was like get Dimitri Zlodiev back to the honorable mentions like that <laughs> happened. Uh, it was nice to kind of see Zlodiev back on the ice and, and skating so hard and being so annoying and drills and all those things. But he's, he's kind of an example of the player that I touched on. Like he's got KHL experience. He's been in the pro leagues for a long time. So he looks a lot different than Tom Willander because he's played against pros and it's been a difficult grind against him where at a camp like that, he almost kind of frees up his game a little bit. Um, so aside from that, like, I, I don't think that, that camp really affected that much, but I do think that there'll be a couple surprises uh, for people that have Jonathan LeCaramacchi as their, like, top prospect or, you know, top two prospects. I'm just, after what he did last year, you have to make an argument for Aturatu, the fact that he's a center. Elias Pettersson's looked really good. Like, Danila Klimovich, what he did in the AHL as a teenager was damn impressive and that's progression that we saw from him this past year and I don't know if we saw a similar progression to Jonathan LeCaramacchi so um, I think he slid a little bit from our past rankings and we'll have to see how the rest of the top 10 shakes out here all right Faber before we let you go it's the uh, home run derby tonight in Major League Baseball and I know you a little bit Uh, you're a Nanaimo Pirates legend back in the day first baseman pitcher Uh, how many Mm -hmm. how many home runs is Faber hitting in a home run derby oh yeah, I actually led the BC PBL and hit by pitches. That uh, so yeah, you, you could you could say legend again. Real Crowd quick in the plate over here, baby. <laughs> well, I remember breaking up a perfect game with two outs and like the bottom of the seventh, where I was just like, I'm getting hit in the calf here, 100, <laughs> percent and like pitch right over the plate, hard fastball down the middle from uh, actually Nick Pavetta uh, was oh, the nice. pitcher uh, who now is in the MLB. Whoa, but... whoa, whoa. you broke <laughs> Nick Pavetta's perfect game by hit by pitch. Yeah, this is when we were like twelve years old or thirteen, maybe, and he was like he was still six foot five back then, and it was <laughs> we were on the like short little mounds, and he he was untouchable uh, aside from my calf. So yeah, broke out the perfect game in the final inning. But uh, sorry, what was the question? Did you ask me about baseball? I just wanted to mention the Pavetta thing. <laughs> yeah, I asked you about the home run derby. That's all good, man. We got a story. Oh, we got. And I don't know. He, he I don't know. I've uh, he wants yeah, to like, know how many dingers you could thing. hit. Uh, it depends on the field, right? Like, I think I one-hopped the wall when we did that media thing at uh, Nat Bailey a couple years ago. And I, that was, you know, haven't played in a long time. So, I don't know. It depends on the field. If you put me on, like, the Little League field, now we're talking. Like, with a metal bat and everything, like, yeah, let her rip. But uh, I never won a home run derby in my life. But I was always, because I was, like, six foot one when I was 12 years old, I was always in the home run derbies. Uh, so, I don't know. Uh, I was uh, I was impressed with the suit game last week, but are we are we going shorts for the rest of the summer here in Vancouver? Oh God, can I tell you something? So I that's a brand new turtleneck I wore, a burgundy <laughs> turtleneck. It was gorgeous, right? You guys you guys yeah, saw it the yeah. other day. Um, I thought it looked great. I was very happy about it, and then I didn't read the washing instructions. Oh. Um, so I washed it, I dried it. I put it on and my belly button is now showing. So that's not a turtleneck that I'll be wearing ever again. So it's a summer accessory is what you're talking about. We're going yeah, to see you at so the I beach wearing that. I know. I started texting all my short friends and I'm like, hey, I got a turtleneck for you. It's burgundy. It's gorgeous. It's only been worn once. So, yeah, I, I got to learn. Uh, this was an expensive one, too. So I really got to pay attention to like the, the how to wash a turtleneck uh YouTube videos. I'll be there all day today. Yeah, when in doubt, hang dry. It's uh, it's usually yeah. usually the way to go. Uh, yeah, the only thing hanging now is my gut out of the shirt. <laughs> yeah. No visuals, please. <laughs> uh, really appreciate you waking up for us this morning, Favor. Thanks for this. Yeah, you betcha, guys. Smelling salts really helps, so now yeah. I'm, I'm doing good. i got to start work now, so yeah. Have a good one, guys. Appreciate right. it. There he is, uh, Chris Favor, Canucks Army, Canucks Conversation.
uh, getting the spro in. Never mind the smelling salts. Get those uh, get those spros going, Randy. Yeah, I'm on my first coffee, so uh, got a second one coming up here. I, I actually looked up Favors baseball profile, and yeah. I think it's called pointstreak.com or something. Okay. Young young kid. This is. I'm gonna tweet out the photo. It's it's a it's a beautiful one. Oh. He must have been like 15, 16. Yeah. Six foot two, two hundred pounds. <laughs> It's uh, a big boy back in the day. It still beastly. is, but uh, Reed Johnson vibes uh, when he says he's getting hit by pitch a lot. You know, what a story! Breaks yeah. up a perfect game of Nick Pavetta. Pavetta, uh, well, sure. <laughs> Nick Pavetta by yes. getting hit by a pitch on purpose. Yes, doesn't happen very often, does it? Uh, it is. Uh, I was going to say something else, but it's uh, Halford and Bruff in the morning. That's right. Uh, I, I've been told you can find the podcast of these, uh, these shows on the, the people show podcast. So we're going to make it a bit of a scavenger hunt for you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, it'll be up uh, and available on the people show podcast, uh, for you. If you're not able to listen and would like to listen to us in its entirety, when we come back uh, more on, uh, Alex to brink at in the trade that, uh, shook up the Atlantic division or did it. Talk about that next. Canuck Central on Sportsnet 650.